and that land that was supposed to be protected is getting developed. So I'm making this video not as a reporter, but as a Puerto Rican who's sad and scared that Puerto Rico is becoming a place where only the wealthy have access to our most beautiful natural resources. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Wait, Hold Up, a podcast where we talk to homegirls, experts, and others to help us live our most authentic lives. I'm Jessica. And I'm Yarel. And like always, hello to everyone and a welcome to our new listeners. We're super excited that you're joining us once again on the podcast. How are you doing, Jess? Oh, I'm feeling good. I am so amped for this episode. Um, I feel like I want to have a big like Boricua power like sign on my shirt. Where is it? You're missing it. I I know you have the swag. (laughs) (laughs) I actually only have a hat. Only have a hat. That's it. And I feel like I should have the the rest. I want to have like the earrings. That's because y'all we're talking about Puerto Rico today. And I'm so... So, so, so excited. I mean, granted, it's a deep conversation about the islands. It's definitely goes into the roots of its colonial status um, and being a territory of the United States and what's going on with the land there and with foreign investors. Um, But it's just for me, you know, I one of the things that I've done and and taken on as almost like a project as I've gotten older is getting to understand more of my Puerto Rican identity and my mm. roots. You know, um, I like many people who were born in New York, like have always felt a sense of pride, but there was never a lot of history that I learned. You know, mm-hmm. I learned about the young lords. I learned about um, some key figures here and there, but it's like as I got older that I actually got to learn about like Lolita Lebron and Pedro Albizu Campos and like what, you know, what the Ponce massacre was, what, you know, even like understanding like the environment in which my grandparents met each other in a campo yeah. and like, you know, all of that. Um, and so it's for me is like been a, a real treasure and pleasure to get to know things um, as hard as some of the stuff that I learned is, is to yeah. find out. So today we have like, something coming from the source yes i'm like beyond excited about who we have on the show from the mainland um yeah we have someone that's like phenomenal she is great but just you know just going back to you mentioning new york uh i'm just curious like how was was it how was it for you i feel like i grew up in like a city that is like the second biggest city third biggest city aside from like Mexico City with the most Mexicans, New York must be the same in terms of the Puerto yeah. Rican community. I mean, you, every, everything around you, it's, it's, you're living and breathing the flavors, you're smelling el sazon, you're hearing the mm-hmm. sounds uh, of the island. I mean, I just, how was it for you gr- growing up in that space? It's interesting, right? Because I would say now it's like New York, Orlando, and and Chicago. Those are three really big hubs. Um, But New York, I think, has always been the biggest. Um, And, you know, growing up, I didn't realize that I was experiencing the island. For me, it was just I was Mm. experiencing my family, right? Yeah. I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is Puerto Rican food. I was thinking like, oh, this is Huela's food. This is my grandmother. That and like salsa was just the music that we played in the yeah. house. It was yeah. the music that I heard coming out of cars. And um, and and I think like New Yorkian identity is really, really strong. I think yeah. that people are, are very proud to be Puerto Rican. If, even if they don't speak the language, even if they've never been there, you know, or haven't been back. Um, so... You know, that's that I feel like is the the environment that I grew up in when I got older and particularly in my late 20s and even to this day, like I found myself wanting to know who the who the people were are that made Puerto Rico what it is about why we are in this situation where we talk about statehood and we talk about independence, about, you know, why it is that such a fertile, rich island 
import so much of its food why we have mm-hmm. to pay triple like tax with the jones yeah. act you know i just kept finding myself in these conversations and hearing little bits there and, and here and there and wanting to understand more of that i feel like like i have like such intense puerto rican pride and in part um there's been a sense of like I know this might sound silly, but almost like, am I allowed to have that much pride as if I was like born there when I wasn't? Mm. Um, mm. But, but I do, you know, I, 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 it's in my veins. And I think that it's just as important for people who are part of the diaspora to feel pride as those who are, were born and or who are living on the islands, because I think that that is what will continue to define our our future. That's and that's in you know in ensuring that the history doesn't die and that the stories yeah. live on and that we can learn from the past and create a brighter future. And so, um, you know, I think I, I I am like I was I had an experience on the island where I was working on a, a shoot I was overseeing with an artist, and afterwards, me and like some of the crew members went salsa dancing and. You know, there's like a bit of like um, shame and like not speaking Spanish perfectly or having like a, a not Puerto Rican accent when I do or certain things that that I, I still struggle with. Um, and I remember like I'm salsa dancing and my dad taught me how to dance. Like my dad's the best dancer in my <laughs> And the the, fir- the the one of the girls there is like, pero diablo muchacha, tú eres boricua full. And I was just like hearing her say like, like just because she would see how I was That's dancing beautiful. I, was, I was just like what a beautiful moment I felt so much pride in yeah. that moment <laughs> and I was like I am because you know you spend so much of your life especially if you're born in the states feeling like you know ni de aquí ni de allá and like you're right. just like trying to to almost like live up to this expectation of what other people want and you're like I want you to see me that like that I have love and that I have passion and that I care and, you know, I can't control the environment in which I was born under, but like, I don't want that to mean that I'm disconnected, that I can't mm-hmm. have this mm-hmm. immense love and respect for um, my ancestry and where, you know, my parents and, grand- and my grandparents came from. So that was such a moment of pride. And so I think that's why for me, you know, I'm, I, I just have like devoted so many, so much of my time to learning as much about the islands and trying to understand the many, many, many nuances. And so yeah. when I first started seeing the videos of Bianca Grolo, I was just like, this woman is like the instructor that I needed like 20 years ago, even though she's younger than me. But I'm like, <laughs> we could go back in the past, but I'm just like grateful to someone like her because she is going to be the uh, you know a voice that I can con- continue to see just make sure that Puerto Rico is on the map our stories are being told and the the history but also the moments that are making history right now yeah are being highlighted so yeah a very long-winded sure. way to say like no, my body I love this. Is, like they didn't need yes. <laughs> I love it and I'm so proud of you for that Jess because I feel like we've had those conversations before and I asked you that like that connection with like New York, New Jersey and your identity, because I feel ever since I've known you, it's, it's that pride just oozes out of you as like, you're Puerto Rican. And I completely agree with you. I think the moment that we kind of leave our homes, like we leave our nest, we want to get we want to like, we want to be connected more, right? So therefore we like yearn for these, for all these things that remind us of those beautiful places mm-hmm. that we grew up in, right? Like that environment, that home with your grandma and those connections to this land that you love because of them, through them. Yeah. Even though you were not born there, even though your generations removed, you know, there's still like this connection. And I must say that like like yourself, that I admire the the pride the love that Puerto Ricans have for their for for their island so you know I wanted I wanted you to share share that too because I feel like it's 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 important in this conversation and especially like you say with someone who's doing so much work uh, selflessly right kind of putting putting all these I don't know dreams of that that we that society imposes on us in like both of us being journalists as well, uh, you know, you and I, and going mm-hmm. back to the roots, like she, that's what she did. Bianca Grolo, she's an independent uh, 
reporter. She produces. She edits her own stuff. She Incredible. writes her own stories. She's digging these these stories in Puerto Rico that not a lot of people have access to and not a lot of people are reporting. And mm -hmm. she's generating mm -hmm. conversations on social justice, on environmental justice, on the history of this island. And that that is why, like you say, we're so excited to have her and to learn from her. <laughs> oh my God, yes. To learn from Absolutely. her. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't wait. Um, we hope that you all will engage in this conversation Before we jump in, we want to play a quick snippet of Bianca's um, TikTok video that went viral. That was a response to some land uh, behind her house that she actually at the time had been reporting on the way that lands in Puerto Rico that should be protected under her understanding was being sold to private developers. And the story hit really close to home when she found out that the lands behind her house was actually also in this similar situation. So we're gonna let you hear a clip and then we're just gonna jump right into our interview with Bianca. Hi, TikTok. Today has been a really hard day. Today I found out that the land behind my house, the one that you see in my videos all the time, where the horses that I give water to live, the land that gives me access to the beach, that land is being sold to a company that develops luxury apartments. You might have heard that Puerto Ricans are worried that our land is being bought up. And this is an example of that. This is private land, but it's also protected land. The government set it aside for agricultural purposes, and it's also supposed to be protected for its environmental value. But I happen to be doing a story about this before it hit so close to home, and everyone I talk to says those laws are not being respected, and that land that was supposed to be protected is getting developed. So I'm making this video not as a reporter, but as a Puerto Rican who's sad and scared that Puerto Rico is becoming a place where only the wealthy have access to our most beautiful natural resources. Bianca, welcome to the show. We are beyond thrilled that you were able to make some time to join us. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know, you've been a journalist for years now, and you worked at Univision in Palm Springs, reported at ABC and CBS affiliates. But so many of our listeners probably know you as the woman that went viral on TikTok. <laughs> Better yet, the journalist who went viral on TikTok. So how have you been handling that transition? So I think that even as I was a reporter for local stations and in my last three jobs, you know, I think in local news, we were understanding the importance of social media, but not fully diving in. And I was eager to do that. And I was always pushing my stations, like, let's do more. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. But I was always kind of told to like, hold back to take it easy. And I think once I finally left my job, I was like, this is it. This is where I just express myself on social media. And I take full advantage of the attention that's out there, the hunger for information. So it's been a transition where I've been like, I no longer have to be kind of like pausing to see what I can and cannot post. It's more like I can let you in in my process of reporting and my process of gathering information so it's kind of weird because there's still a part of me that says like who should I ask permission to whether I can post this or mm. not and it's like I don't have to anymore so now it's a matter of knowing that I'm being true to myself that I'm being true to the facts that I'm giving the correct and accurate information but presenting it in the most like human way possible I think you know that video um that TikTok video that you did um hit so many people and like really struck so many people in a good way because it was you being informed about something that was important but also how it was relating to you and on a very personal level something that you can't do when you have a company so that working for a company you know so like the liberty and the freedom that i'm sure you now um can work with yeah and yeah. and it still wasn't easy in the sense that I still doubted myself, you know, I was like, am I breaking rules here? Am I not going to be taken seriously? I had all these voices in my head, like, that's not professional. You're not supposed to do that. But then there was also a part of me that was like, I'm human first and I'm Puerto Rican first. And there's so many people going through, through a similar situation. 
you know, I, I don't think it's unprofessional to have feelings about something as long as you're still being fair about the story. And like you said, this is something that I was already investigating and something I was already reporting on. So I had the information. It was just now like, hey, now it's touching me personally. And instead of like crying by myself, I'm, I'm going to tell you about it. And, you know, and it became a thing where we were just like kind of banding together, supporting each other. And I was getting all these messages from people being like, we're here with you. We want to know more. Can you share a little bit about it and like what it entailed and what, why do you think it resonated so much with people? So that specific video you're talking about, that was literally the day I found out, um, you know, I had just, I had been talking to people involved in the sale of the land for a while. Um, so, so let me back up. Okay. So I had been doing a story in Puerto Rico about the land of Puerto Rico, whether it's being sold specifically if protected land is being sold. You can hear the reggaeton that's very common in Puerto Rico. You'll hear the cars go by with the reggaeton. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I had already been reporting on the issue of the land in Puerto Rico. We are seeing a trend where a lot of land is being sold for the purposes of developing that land. A lot of people are seeing opportunity and buying land that's much cheaper here than it would be in the continental U.S. And a lot of people are raising their voices being like, wait a minute, this land is not supposed to be developed. This is supposed to be protected land. So I was already looking into that and investigating this issue. I saw a sign of land behind my house. This is land that I've been seeing there for two decades. It's just this big, what we call here finca. It's just 40 acres of land that has just been kind of sitting there. Um, but it's also our access to the beach. So we're very familiar with that land. And then I see the sign that it's being sold and I'm like, oh no, that was my first reaction. Is this going to be part of that trend of that land being sold and possibly developed? So I'm thinking, you know, there's a chance, but it's too early to tell. And also this is Camuy, is such a small town. Why would anyone really want to invest on land like that. And most people were telling me it's really expensive. We're talking, it's listed for more than a million dollars. It's really expensive for a town like Amoy. Next thing I know, that day that I filmed the video of me crying is the day that I got confirmation that it had been sold, or at least it was in the beginning stages of it being sold to a development company, to a company that develops luxury apartments. So that was just my, my honest reaction when I found out about the land. I, I was immediate like disappointment and sadness. And I just started crying. And, you know, my friend was here and she took that video of me crying when I was making calls. And I was just hesitating, like, should I talk about this? Should I not? And eventually I was like, this is important. And my story, the investigation I'm doing is not ready yet. I'm still in the process of researching and, and getting all the documents and information together. But I feel like people should know about this. And it was just that moment of kind of powerlessness too, feeling like, is this something that's beyond our control? That land that's supposed to be protected, does it just, is this just how it goes? Hmm. Wow, I mean... So when you started to question, like, is that just how it goes? What were some of the responses that you were receiving? A lot of people were saying, we're seeing this everywhere. Like, this is what we're seeing in Puerto Rico. You know, land is being sold and, and we, you know, Puerto Ricans feel powerless about it. And, and there's an important point, which is that land is private land. It, it has its owners. Um, and it's a family that has owned it for a very long time. So when we talk about Puerto Rico's land, sometimes we're talking about, you know, private land. But what's important to remember is that even if it's private, it's also protected. Mm -hmm. Because the same way that whatever you do in your home, it's your home. But there are rules about the things that you can and cannot do in your home because it affects everyone around right, you. Right, right. That's interesting. One of the things, for example, you know, access to the beach is public. So that's an example of something that should not be cut off. But we have seen examples where people say, you know, this community was cut off from the access to the public beach because of a development. Do you mm -hmm. think that all of these loopholes are, all of these loopholes exist because of Puerto Rico's status as a colony, a territory of the United States? Yes. There are specific policies in place that take place in Puerto Rico that don't in any of the other states. There's 
nowhere in the United States that you can go and have such hefty tax exemptions as you have here. And that's very attractive for people. And I think one of the big reasons is because Puerto Rico is not its own country and it's also not a state. So that territory status um, gives a lot of leeway for some of the things that can happen here. Yeah, and you know, I do think we should give like a bit of a background. I would just love your maybe like brief history of like the United States relationship to the island. Okay, brief. <laughs> so 1898, the United States comes to Puerto Rico, and that's when the Spanish-American War happened. So Puerto Rico went from being a colony of Spain to becoming a colony of the United States. In that process, we're talking 200 years, um, Puerto Rico has been in what some people consider a kind of limbo state, because even though the current status is that a free associated state or commonwealth, uh, that's something in between a state and an independent country. And some people say that status is in nature colonial. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll give you a few examples. It's colonial in the sense that Puerto Ricans can't vote for president. Mm -hmm. So we're part of the United States, but we don't have a say in who's the leader of the country. Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that we don't have control over airports, for example, during the pandemic, Puerto Rico can decide, hey, we're going to shut down air airports to protect ourselves because we're part of the United States. So the United States decides that. And there are many other things like that. Um, so we are, and, and, you know, this is what we see in actual legislation from the United States. Puerto Rico is referred to as a possession of the United States. And I think that has created for Puerto Ricans sort of this identity crisis. Puerto Ricans are very proud people, as you know, and there's so much pride in being Puerto Rican and being from here and being sort of like having that identity that's separate from the United States. But it's also, um, we've been taught and, and since we're little, that mentality of we depend on the United States and we need to be handheld with the United States. So I think, uh, you know, you talk to people from any party in Puerto Rico and those parties are based on the preference for status. And I think a lot of people pretty much across the board agree that there has to be a change in the status of Puerto Rico right now. You might have a preference, whether you want statehood, whether you want independence, or whether you want something that is kind of the current status, but you want it to be better. Right. So I think there's that debate going on right now. And the question is whether it can happen quickly enough and whether there could be consensus about what people want to see happen. Oh man, there's like so many like intricacies, right? And like so much the nuance when we talk. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I, you know, I'm, I'm from California, but I grew up watching a lot of Puerto Rican television. My dad is, I always mention this, but it's, I feel like it's, I, it's, it's so related to why I care so much for Puerto Rico, because I grew up watching a lot of Puerto Rican television because my dad was a huge, is a huge baseball fan. So we had the Puerto Rican channels at home and, you know, with the baseball comes the entertainment shows and the news and this idea to me growing up was like, I, I, I was, I couldn't comprehend, right? Like, it's like, wait, it is, it's their own flag, but they have their own baseball team and then they're part of the United States. So it was even, even now you telling me it sounds, it's still a very complicated issue and it's, a, and it's an issue that is been, you know, it's divided, right? Like the country has been divided over statehood, over independence. I, I'm curious, um, Bianca, when you came to the U.S. in terms of, of identity and in terms of how you felt about your country, um, did your opinion change? Did your point of view change uh, the way to the way like that you saw home? When I went to the United States, Yes, I think my perspective very much changed because I think the first thing is because I, I wasn't aware of U.S. politics. I, I wasn't educated on it. I didn't really understand it. You're, you're not taught? No. You're not taught like U.S. I mean, you have classes oh, wow. in high school, right? So, But I can't remember having a single class where they explain to us what Democrats stand for and what Republicans stand for. So we learned mm. U.S. history, um, but I remember graduating high school and taking classes in college and, you know, the kids around me, 
the professor was asking like, you know, what do Democrats stand for? And everyone knew. And I was just like, I have no idea. So I was just new to all of this. And Mm. a lot of, you know, adult Puerto Ricans here, they don't really know what those parties stand for because that's just not part of the conversation here. The conversation here is mostly about the local politics. So I, I had to start from zero, just understanding the whole political landscape in the United States. And, you know, it was like a 10 year journey of understanding it, reporting on it, learning more about it. So I think my perspective changed from that, from that point of view of you know, understanding what the United States really stood for um, and just becoming an adult. And, and, and it's crazy. And I think this happens to a lot of Puerto Ricans who move to the United States. They move there and they become even more apegados, even more you know, identified mm, with the Puerto Rican proud. identity. Yeah, more proud and more just wanting to see changes and, and good things happen for Puerto Rico from the outside. Mm-hmm. So so it's really interesting to see how the further away you go, the, the like more you become like identified with it. Huh. I mean, I think for me as a Puerto Rican born in the Bronx, which is like, you know, New Yorkian, like the second island area, um, I didn't necessarily like I always knew like my my roots and you know like my um my grandmother had six of her kids in, on the island and the last three in New York and for us it was like you know we had an idea of where Wella came from and like how you know she she loved it and she was so sad when she had to leave and she'll still say to this day that she preferred giving birth to her six kids with just her sisters there to help her versus like in the hospitals in New York and I'm like I don't even want to know what it's like to give birth to nine kids, so I can't even imagine. <laughs> but for me, my pride in my culture has um, grown the more that I've also studied it, right? The more that I've learned about what has happened from 1898 to now. And I find that as I get more proud, I get angrier. And it's like hard not to because you just see the the many, many injustices. And I think like you, when you're talking about land right now, like that's like the tip of the iceberg, right? Like it's just like another way of violating people's rights. Another way of basically saying there are rules for some, but not rules the same, but those rules don't apply to us. Um, And so when I think about like the island's independent status. Obviously, like for me, I have an opinion, but at the same time, I feel like because some, I was never, I've never been someone who's lived there. The longest I've spent there is like a month and a half. I feel as like my, as if my opinion isn't valid, right? Like I think Puerto Rico should be its own country point blank period. But I also know, I don't know what it's like to like live with the nuances of like having to be without the dependence on the United States. So I'm super curious, you know, where you stand and what, how you feel like that conversation is happening on the island. And if it changes versus like by generationally or by people who have left and then returned and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I think uh, the generation you belong to has a lot to do with how you see the relationship with the United States and what you prefer mm. for Puerto Rico, right? And I think it's no different than the different generations in the United States in the sense that you see that, I think you see a lot more pride in your country, meaning the United States for older generations of like, you know, America or the United States is the best country in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you have a younger generation that's like, we've done some messed up things that we need to answer for and we need to be honest about that Mm -hmm. and i think it's the same thing that you see locally in puerto rico where an older generation is very much like we can never let go of the us why would we want to let go of our access to the best country in the world and then you have a younger generation being like you know have you seen what's been happening recently is that really our best option so so i think Yes, generationally, it, it has a lot to do with it. And it's also, you know, you, you have to think about the messaging that our parents received, right? And I'm just learning about this too. I'm learning about when, you know, my dad was like entering the workforce and all the messaging was, 
the U.S. is, is going to make all of this better. And there's no way that Puerto Rico can survive without the United States. Mm -hmm. So so that has really affected like his thinking today. And, and you have a younger generation today, like I like I mentioned in my um, most recent story, which is we can do this. Yeah. Like we can go back to working the land. We can be we can become food independent and we can live off the land and, and less about thinking about, you know, all the funding. That, that we have been dependent on for so long and more thinking like, what can we do to, you know, echar palante, as we say here, to, to move forward on our own without having to depend on the United States. So that is a very interesting conversation. I think what is clear is that in the past, there just hasn't been enough support for independence from the United States. But I also think that mm -hmm. question hasn't been asked in the most fair way to Puerto Ricans in the past. And I think that's why they've been hesitant to participate mm. because whatever party is in power right. decide how the question is asked. Mm. So you always have this issue right. where whoever puts on the referendum, they have an interest in mind. If it's the statehood party, they're doing it because they're hoping mm. that statehood wins. So the argument is always, you know, the way that they're asking the question favors statehood. Mm -hmm. And and they're going to say that speaks for all of Puerto Rico and vice versa. So I think that we have to finally say, okay, let's take this seriously and ask in the mo in the fairest way possible so that everyone has a voice and that people actually come out and make their voice heard. The first thing that I think about is when you say messaging, right? And I think about this idea that it, when in, 19, in, in 1898, when um, Puerto Rico became a colony of the United States, how basically like so many people from the U.S. just like took land, didn't even like, they just like were like, okay, now this is my sugar plantation. Now this is like, this is my sugar cane plantation. This is my land and now you're working for me and I'm gonna like pay you nothing. And so the, how the, the, like, how the system of dependency is ingrained in the relationship. And so why so many older people and, and that older generation can't help but think, oh, we need them. And it's like the oppressor has made you feel as if you need them because they've only given you but so much to survive. And yet they're like, look, you got to yeah. come back for more. Um, so I don't know if that's a question or more like what I've, I've seen and, and very much like the frustration that I'm, I, you know, I wish I'm like, come on guys. Like this is, this is the game that they've been like pushing us for. This is what they want. They want you to think that you're not capable enough, that you're not talented enough, that you don't have the ingenuity, you don't have the resources, but it's always been that they took that from us and then left us empty handed. So we had to ask for it back. So I can give you an example that goes into that. Um, I think part of the issue is that even before the United States came in, Puerto Rico was already a colony, right? So you can't say that Puerto Rico was thriving mm -hmm. before the United States came here. And I think that's one of the reasons. In one of my stories, I say General Miles, who was leading the troops that invaded Puerto Rico, said, we're bringing a banner of freedom. You know, right now you're a colony of Spain and here we are to help you get that freedom. Mm -hmm questionable whether that really ended up happening. Mm -hmm. But then I, I go in that story into the example of Vieques. Vieques is one of the islands that's part of Puerto Rico. In Vieques, the US Navy went and bought land and now they said, this is ours. And they literally pushed out whomever lived there. So Vieques had a big sugar plantation. Again, we're not saying that they were the best of conditions, but that was what people worked doing. When the U.S. Navy got there, they got rid of the plantation and they said, this is our land now, and now we're going to use it for bombing practices. So you got rid of the jobs that were available for people. And now you said, Vieques is going to be the place where we do our bombing practices. And we're going to hire you because we need people to do different jobs, you know, at the Navy base and, and you know, services for the Marines that are here. So then once this happens and we're talking decades of the US Navy being there, when it's time to decide and, and Vieques, the people of Vieques have been saying, leave, we don't want you here. The United States um, government and the Navy and the people who supported the Navy staying are saying, well, what about our economy? If the Navy leaves, 
then all our jobs leave. We don't have an economy here. Eventually the Navy did leave when they decided that it was time. And that's true, the jobs went away. But the only reason that the jobs became dependent on the presence of the US Navy is because they went there in the first place and they said, this land yeah. is ours and now you work for us. Mm-hmm. So you create that environment and then you take it away, then of course the jobs are going to leave. So so yes, that, that is what has been happening. That's just one example of the ways that Puerto Ricans have become dependent on that relationship with the US. And now we're in a situation that it's going to take a lot of time and effort for the people who want to reverse that. Right. Um, you know, I'm curious because I follow a lot of, of, of what Residente posts. I'm a huge fan of his music. And he's a, been, he's a huge advocate, right, for independence. He had a chat with Bernie Sanders not that long ago where he mentions and he asks um, the senator, like, hey, what about Puerto Rico, you know, and independence? And, and Bernie was kind of like, well, you know, the people vote and they always vote to not become independent. And he was trying, and Residente was trying to say like, well, listen, it has a lot to do with education, mm-hmm. right? We are, our, our, our country doesn't, a lot of people don't understand what this means, what this entails. And recently after Hurricane Maria, I think, you know, Residente has been a bigger like advocate for um, uh, Puerto Rico becoming independent, for everything that has to do. And he references back, you know, La Bandera and, um, you know, the the patriotism that uh, that Puerto Ricans have. Do you think that Maria, that Hurricane Maria has shifted that conversation not just within generations, but within communities that already live in Puerto Rico and that are like, you know, no, we want things to finally change. This hurricane took so much from us. I think so, because I think what Hurricane Maria did was sort of take down that veil of, you know, the U.S. is our savior. And as long as we have the U.S. will be good. Because after Hurricane Maria, you know, the argument is always like, where are you going to get the money to stand up again? Where are you going to get the money to, after such a terrible disaster, to be able to move forward? Hurricane Maria happened and people found themselves without any food, Mm. without any resources, without electricity for months. And they were saying, wait a minute, where is the United States? Like, I thought if this happened, yeah, this was supposed to be our savior. So When that happened, I think it opened people's eyes to saying, how did we stand up after Hurricane Maria? Mm. Honestly, a lot of it was communities helping themselves. And I've done a lot of these stories. And and we're not going to say that there was no U.S. help at all, because eventually you did see like FEMA come in and you saw some resources. But paper towels that were, (laughs) you know, shared by someone who we will not name. (laughs) So, so the, all those images and, and Puerto Ricans saying, seeing that, they're like, we're at the mercy of who's leading the U.S. And in that moment, it was President Trump. We didn't get to vote for him, but we did get the paper towel image, you know? So if we are at the mercy of that and then Hurricane Maria comes and, and we don't get what we've been told we would get, which is our savior and that safety net, And then on the other hand, you have communities moving forward on their own. I've covered so many stories of communities literally helping themselves survive. And Mm -hmm. and we're talking just getting resources and we're talking the short term things, like the most immediate things like water and food. And then we're talking long term, like communities that have now connected to solar power and now they don't have this issue with power going out all the time. And for the next hurricane, they feel a lot safer because so many deaths happen because of the lack of electricity. So, you know, it's 2021. Hurricane Maria happened more than three years ago. And there are people who who still don't have that security and safety of knowing that if the next hurricane comes, they're going to be in a better position. And the communities that do feel like they are is because they banded together and they did it themselves. So I think, yes, Hurricane Maria kind of opened people's eyes to say, we can do it ourselves. And in fact, in some places, it's really our only option. Do you particularly have a preference between statehood and independence? I want to see what Puerto Ricans want, what the majority of Puerto Ricans want happen. 
That's, and I'll be covering it the same. I can't say that I know for sure what's going to be better for Puerto Rico, statehood, independence, or some kind of like better agreement when it comes to territory. What I can say is that I want Puerto Ricans to be the ones to have that decision. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think with the work that you do, uh, Bianca, it's it's kind of like that connection of being uh, a storyteller, right? Being an activist, caring so much for the environment. Um, and I think a lot of us also have been, you know, with your videos and with a lot that we've been seeing on social media, the situation of like the land, y las playas, and all these areas in Puerto Rico that have that are that have been bought, that different investors are want to come in and create these massive, uh, you know construction sites and the people and young people in Puerto Rico for the most part trying to be there to protect their land. Can you tell us a little bit about the situation um, that's been going on, not just with like your vi- your video from like your uh, the area that you live in, but in in the entire island? Puerto Rico has gone back to sort of the solution that, that we found at, at the end of the 40s, early 50s, which was if we want to lift Puerto Rico out of poverty, we need to invite outside investment. Mm. And and I know this again because I, I was going back in history to do one of my stories. You know, back then we called it Operation Bootstrap. And we said we are an agricultural economy. We have to move forward to the future and go into manufacturing. And the way that we do that is by inviting these US investors and saying, bring those jobs, bring that money to the island. And in exchange, we're going to give you cheap labor you're going to be paying much less than you would be paying in the United States. We're also going to give you tax exemptions. We're going to give you tax breaks. We're doing the same thing. You know, it's in 2012 is when this started. Um, And Puerto Rico was already in a difficult economic situation and already like billions of dollars in debt. And again, the, the government at the time decided this is what we're going to do. We're going to invite outside investment. We're going to give them very attractive tax exemptions so that they they move here, so that they bring their money with them and also create jobs. Now it's questionable just how many jobs those policies have created, but but that was the argument to, to attract people, um, wealthy investors, specifically from the United States to Puerto Rico. So now what's happening, um, I think you know that has been in place since 2012, but more and more people are finding out about it and also more people are making a lot of money. You know, and, and one of the things that has influenced that is cryptocurrencies. A lot of people have made a lot of money in cryptocurrencies. And all of a sudden they're thinking at some point we're going to want to cash out and we don't want to have to pay a big cut to the government. How do we avoid that? And if you can remain within the United States, you don't have to like change your citizenship and you can move to this beautiful paradise. And that place has really cheap properties and really cheap land. And if you want to hire uh, people, you know, you, you pay them less than you would pay, be paying them in the United States. It, it all paints a very attractive picture. So the situation now is that people in real estate are just selling so many properties. Now, if developers and investors are coming not just to buy properties, but to buy land to develop properties. So the money coming from the outside, Puerto Ricans locally cannot compete with, with that kind of money, a lot of just average Puerto Ricans. So, it, you know, people are snatching up properties and land, and that includes protected land. So in 2015, the government decided that we're going to draw up a plan of all of Puerto Rico and decide what parts needed to be protected for agricultural purposes. So again, you know, Puerto Rico imports a lot of what we eat and the government decided if we ever want to be food independent and food sovereign, we need land to grow food. So they specified what land should be protected for those purposes. We also have a lot of like very important natural resources on which we depend for our water, you know, for our natural environment, for the ecosystem. So the government decided what land needed to be protected. However, the question is whether those laws have been respected or not. Mm. And one of the big issues we're dealing with right now is that 
part of the process was to determine which were going to be reserves. And this is a good example of what happened. You have a government saying, these areas are reserves, they need to be protected, you cannot develop this land. Mm -hmm. But then the administration changes. And then the new administration says, mm, we need to get rid of those reserves, because we rather have the economic development and the economic investment. There's a fight in the courts and the court says, no, you, you need to keep the reserves. But then you, you keep the reserves, but the information is not available anywhere. So, mm. so technically the reserves exist, but if the information is not available for the developers to know where they can't build, and it's not available for Puerto Ricans to know what land to protect and what land to stand up for, it's the same as not having the reserves. So that's the, the most recent issue that I've been dealing with because the land behind my house is very likely that it is inside a reserve. But as someone who lives in this town, there was no way for me to know that information. I only know this because I'm a reporter and I have contacts and, and people have notified me about this. So we had been going back and forth with the agency and they got so much pressure that they finally said, this Friday, we're going to release the information of the reserves. So, so that's a big win because we're going to get that information. But also the court case was in 2019, it's 2021. That information should have been publicly available this whole time. Mm, so now the question right. is, if that information wasn't available, are you telling me that you were allowing development on land that was supposed to be protected by a reserve status? Wow. So that's part of what we're working with. Damn. I mean, just like so kudos to much. you, girl. I because yeah, like I do believe everything is like divinely ordered, and I think that you being in that place at that time is so important because it goes to like education, resources, and the whole process is so overwhelming and it can be super cumbersome, right? And like people have like so much going on, like you do, but it's part of your job and it's part of your commitment, mm -hmm. and like being able to do that, like it may not just change what happens behind your house, but it can have so many other implications around the island, which is just incredible. Um, and I and I just want the right people to be held accountable. You know, I think that that's a lot of what it comes down to. Um, you know, I'm curious if you, if, if for you, how do you, and I know like this was part of why you, you were hesitant to release that TikTok video um, where you were emotional about it because it got personal. But how do you stay hopeful versus angry? I think I just focus on getting the information, right? Like I was hesitant because I don't want my feelings to get in the way of doing my job. But at the end of the day, I decided that I am very comfortable standing up for natural resources, for our environment, and also for the law that protects these lands. At the end of the day, I think the bottom line is simple. This land is supposed to be protected and we just have to make sure that that is respected. So my job as a reporter is to look at it and, and ask the agency, are you doing what you were put there to do? And are you doing right by Puerto Ricans? Mm. So it could get really emotional if I just sit here and, and think, damn, all these things are happening and, and I don't have the money to buy that land myself and, and I can't compete. But at the end of the day, those laws are there for a reason. And I think when I focus on, on doing my job, which is bringing transparency and information to people, then, then I can stay sane. Right. I love that question, Jess, because it's also, it's such a battle, right? To like be so passionate about something and then also kind of having to stand your, your guard to also protect yourself and your feelings. Um, mm -hmm. and like, and all these things that, that we care about. You know, I think that the beauty of like digital media is that now this story is no longer just a story in Camuy, in Puerto Rico. It's, you know, gotten, gotten global attention. Um, and I would just love to know how, how we as supporters, as, you know, advocates can continue to help. What's the organization that you've connected with and what are other ways that we could support the work to help protect the lands in Puerto Rico? So this organization is a land trust. And the reason I think what they do is so amazing is because it's a collective land trust. And when we talk about community, this is how they work in community. So when they purchase the land, it doesn't um, 
it doesn't belong to any one individual. It belongs to the collective land trust so that they can protect it and make it available for farming purposes in perpetuity. So that's what they do. And yes, uh, part of their mission is to start buying land to make sure that farmers, a lot of Puerto Rican farmers are working on land that doesn't technically belong to them. They don't have a mm. title to that land. Mm -hmm. So at any moment they could lose that land and whatever projects they had of growing food then have to be stopped. So, so their mission is to make sure that sustainable farmers have continued access to the land. So when you're right, this video was no longer about Puerto Rico. So many people from the United States and so many people from France, Australia, from Canada were being like, how can we help you? And they were like, we want to donate. I didn't feel comfortable taking that money. And I also knew that a million dollars is a lot of money. And while a lot of people wanted to, to see that land like bought and protected, that was a hefty goal. So my best option was to put people in touch with this land trust so that even if they couldn't get the full money to buy that land, they could use that money for the same purpose. You know, if they mm -hmm. can't buy that land, then they can buy another piece of land that will go towards sustainable farming. If they can't buy that land, what they can do is continue the mission of raising their voices and making information available so that people know what land is protected and, and how to protect and defend that land. So yeah, that, that land trust, um, that's the work they do. And after this video went viral and so many people donated, they got more money than they had ever raised. Um, wow. And I think that was both encouraging and also a little intimidating because mm -hmm. it, these are regular Puerto Ricans with full-time jobs. They're doing yeah. this as volunteers. So they're going steady, but slow. And they're, they're trying to, you know, go by the book and understand how everything works. And all of a sudden there's all this attention and money flowing in. And they're like, wait, are we ready for this? Like, are we ready for the next step? <laughs> so it was overwhelming, but in the best way, because so many organizations have been fighting to, to get attention, to get people to care, to get engaged in this topic. And all of a sudden, a lot of people were talking about it. So they were like, okay, we have an army of people who, who want who want to be part of this fight and this issue. So the answer is, number one, just don't stop talking about it, you know, in whatever way. There's so many people out there that are so social media savvy. We just need to make sure that this doesn't happen under wraps and behind closed doors, that there's no reason why we shouldn't have, why, why we should have had two years when we didn't have the information of reserves and Puerto Rico. Right. So, the agency and the government is not going to feel the pressure to make that information available unless we're like, we're watching and, mm. and we are entitled to this information. So the number one thing is to, to continue to let the government know and everyone who is part of this, that you're paying attention, you're watching, and you're going to make sure to hold them accountable. We could do that. Yes. We could make some noise. <laughs> That's for damn sure. We I could love make some it. Noise. <laughs> Oh my God, this is great. Thank you so much, Bianca. And you know, before we before we let you go, because I told you I could continue this conversation for forever. Oh my God. Um, Seriously. You know, what do you do for yourself that's like your soul care, your self-care when it's been a day of filming, of reporting, of being on the phone? Like, how do you take care of yourself? I, I did it today. Today, I, I have been all day just like busy with a bunch of things. And I saw the sun was coming down. And I was like, Okay, I'm gonna go and I just take my little five minute walk to the back. And I just see the sun come down and the waves crash. And that's exactly, you know, there, there's the bigger purpose of this land. And there's also the selfish kind of like personal part, you know, where it's like, I was raised in this house, I, I've spent like 20 years Mm. um being connected to this and and that beach is supposed to be public it's a little piece of me and I don't want to have to like get in my car and drive a mile to have access to the shore you know mm. so, so there's a selfish part of me that it's like this is just the land where I'm from and not just me but my neighbors and everyone from this community should be able to say hey I want to take a little walk and and just like see the waves that shouldn't be just available to the people who can buy one of these luxury apartments. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's what I do. I take a little walk and in this like silence where you can just hear the wind and the birds and the waves. And that's kind of like what brings me back. 
Ah, I love it. That sounds that's, that so, sounds like a place I want to be. I know. I'm like, how do I get there? Yes. You know, how do I get there? I, I'm just like, uh, do you have an extra room? Yada, and I can bunk. We're good. I'll take care of yes. the dogs. You oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, that's part of my dream too. Again, I have all these dreams. Like, part of what I wanted to do when I came back to Damoy was like, I want to build community. I want this to be a place like in this like beautiful utopia that I have in my head. It's like, I, I want this to be a place where people just want to like, come be connected to the land and like hang out with my dogs and grow food with me and walk to the beach. So cross your fingers Girl, for me. Girl, you don't gotta one tell day. me twice. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, where do we sign I'm, up? I'm, get my maletas out. It's a wrap. Let's go. You know, yeah. um, you recently, and I did say I was going to wrap this up, so I really am, but you actually <laughs> just put on your social a question about if you should be concerned about your, about your safety. Mm, um because yeah. people said like be careful like once you start shaking things up like people in power don't like that right they don't want you snooping around do you feel like your safety is in jeopardy at all nothing has happened to make me believe it is but i am also an anxious person and when people put ideas in my head my mind goes wild so i have been getting some of those warnings not just from people on the internet, but also from people who do this kind of work. And that's, that made me question, do we live in a place where we have to worry about that? You know, that I'm doing my job as a reporter and as a neighbor of this town, and that all of a sudden I have to be watching my back. So nothing has happened to make me believe, nothing tangible to make me believe that I should. I am taking all the precautions that I can think of. And I'm just hoping that that we live in a place where people can exercise their rights without having to be concerned for their safety, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm a praying be careful. woman, so I'll be praying for you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes, yes, we all are. Uh, be careful and also share with us, you know, before you go, where can people follow you and where can they check out your work? Yes. So my YouTube channel is where I do my full stories and you can find that with my name. Bianca Grolo, pero se escribe Graulau. It's a complicated one. But my last name is spelled G-R-A-U-L-A-U. And that's how you can find me all over social media. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for just the work that you've been doing for the communities yes. that you've been activating and just being a voice that we absolutely need in this time. It's super, super appreciated. Yeah. And your integrity, you so for sure. And like everything, everything you're sharing with us. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thank you very much. So I'm super excited to say that since this interview was recorded, there already have been developments regarding the land behind Bianca's house, but also other lands on the islands. And the governor um, and agencies have released the names of different reserves around the island, including the land behind Bianca's house. So she was correct. That land is a reserve. It is protected. Um, I'm going to let her explain in her own words from another TikTok video of hers about what the latest developments are and about the work that she's continuing to do to make sure there's as much transparency in this process as possible. Okay, TikTok, we got the governor's attention. If you don't remember me, I'm the girl who cried in this video because the land behind my house that's supposed to be protected is being sold to a company that develops luxury apartments. Well, over the weekend, the governor of Puerto Rico tweeted that the reserve that protects the land behind my house is part of his administration's commitment to strengthening agriculture. Because remember, that land is supposed to be protected for agricultural purposes. And here's the governor recognizing that publicly. So his office announced that they were making the information of the reserves public. But remember, this information should have been public all along. And the only reason we're getting this today is because I told you about it and because you guys helped me spread the word. But it's not over yet. As you can see, there are other reserves besides the one behind my house. And it's my job as a reporter to look into whether these protections are being respected or if development that wasn't supposed to happen is being allowed. I'll keep you posted.
Bianca, truly, we're just, we're so grateful to you and the work that you're doing. And we hope that you all enjoyed this episode. It really is something that was calling to Yarela and I both. We actually yeah. both found the, her videos simultaneously. And like, I hit you up and you were like, yes, yeah. let's go. So um, we would love to hear about how the show resonated with you. You can always leave us a comment on Instagram or email us at hola at weightholdsuppodcast.com. We read every single review. And of course, we try to get back to as many, as many of you as we can. Yeah. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, check us out on Spotify, wherever you listen uh, to podcasts. And let us know, too, what you think of the episodes. Maybe you have someone in, in mind that you would like for us to talk to or um, a conversation that you'd like for us to have. We love hearing from you and we love all the feedback. And like always, thank you so much for being so supportive and being such a beautiful community for us. Yes, we love y'all. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Wait, hold on.